Command, the Air Force starts here. Hello, and welcome to the Air Force Starts Here podcast. I'm your host for this professional development podcast, Jennifer Gonzalez from the AETC Public Affairs team. In this episode, we are looking back in history at the Air Force's role in space at Joint Base San Antonio Randolph, then known as Randolph Air Force Base. As you know, history was made at JBSA Lackland on December 10th with the graduation of the first seven Guardians from basic military training who enlisted directly into the U.S. Space Force. But believe it or not, Texas is steeped in space history as Randolph Air Force Base is ground zero for space innovation in Building 661. This unassuming building was home to the U.S. Space Force School of Aerospace Medicine and inaugurated the world's first Department of Space Medicine in 1949, long before NASA and the U.S. Space Force were created. The school, which started at Brooks Air Force Base and moved to Randolph, where much of the pioneering work began, moved back to Brooks in 1959. Take a listen to this amazing connection Randolph Air Force Base has to space with AETC History and Museums Program Director Mr. Gary Boyd and AETC Historian Mr. Rudy Perificato. I'm Gary Boyd. I'm the uh, Air Education Training Command Director of History and Museums. Uh, Rudy uh, is and has been our expert for space and Air Force research. My background, I spent 16 years at Cook's Air Force Base. And uh, while I was there 16 years, uh, I uh, met many of the pioneered scientists and, and learned about the history of what was done, uh, not only there, but here. The focus of this story is what happened in 661. That was when the School of Aviation Medicine moved here. Uh, yeah, we actually went to Brooks Field first in 1926, and that's the same year that the Army Air Service became the Army Air Corps. That's right. Mm-hmm. And uh, then in 1931, the school moved uh, to Randolph, uh, the School of Radiation Medicine moved to Randolph. And, uh, and that's where things started to happen, and, uh, and, and, and the, the main building was 661. Dr. Harry Armstrong who was the commandant of the School of Radiation Medicine back in the late 40s. He was a pioneer, and he also was a visionary. And he knew about <clears throat> the German Luftwaffe uh, uh, during World War II and some of the leading scientists over there. And uh, he decided uh, in 1949 to create the world's first Department of Space Medicine. So we're talking about the creation of the Air Force's Space Force. Mm-hmm. Well, the ground zero for the Air Force's Space Force was in Building 661 with the creation of the world's first Department of Space Medicine. And what he did was recruit some of the leading German scientists from the German Luftwaffe after World War II under what we call the, the public school Operation Paperclip. Most of the science he brought and engineers, German science engineers from the German Luftwaffe, came to uh, Randolph, Randolph Air Force Base. The two primary ones that, uh, for the purposes of, of what happened in 1961, were Hans and Fritz Haber, the Haber brothers. They were, they were uh, astrophysicists, they were uh, pioneers in, in, in aerospace, you know, space medicine research, and the Haber brothers came, conceived an idea in 1952 
to develop the world's first space cabin simulator. Uh, it was a low pressure chamber, three by five foot, several tons, uh, two and a half tons, made up, <laughs> built in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Uh, and this was a low pressure chamber and they converted it into a, like a space cabin to test atmospheres. What, how can you survive in space at different, different atmospheres? So this is 1952, and this device uh, later became, it was called Torello One, which in Latin means Little Earth, and uh, it was in the basement of Building 661. The three concerns that the Air Force Space Medicine Research had in terms of studying space, and this is the pioneering stuff, three concerns was acceleration, weightlessness, and radiation. Well, how to test that? In 1955, three years after they developed Torello One, was the weightlessness flight, weightless flights, to mimic uh, weightlessness for a brief period of time. So the, the Hubble Roads created Torello One, the pressure chamber, and then 55, uh, the weightless flights, which continued all the way through the end of the 50s. So 52, the Torello One, the low pressure chamber test, 55, the weightlessness flight, and then in 57, October the 4th, 1957, the Soviet Union, now we, the Soviet Union did something, they, the Soviet Union grabbed half of the German scientists and engineers after the war, and they used those <laughs> scientists to launch Sputnik, Sputnik 1. And that started the space race. Well, when that happened, October 4th, 1957, there's no NASA. Uh, it was a complete embarrassment to the United States. And the United States knew about what the Air Force was doing here at Randolph, and they said, well, can we do the counter what the Soviets did in space? And Dr. Armstrong and his colleagues said, we have, a, we have something we could do. We're going to, we're going to launch uh, this young man, uh, from uh, this is uh, Donald Airman First Class Donald Farrell, an accountant in the Comptroller's <laughs> office at Lackland Air Force Base from the Bronx, New York, 23 years old. He's going to become the world's first person to be sequestered in a research chamber on a simulated trip to the moon. Now, you have to understand this chamber, the Trello One that he went into, no human being had been put in a research chamber for any length of time. He was the first human being to be put in a research chamber. A simulated trip to the moon, he's at 100% oxygen at 18,000 feet. And this test started in February, mid-February 1958, shortly after what the Sputnik. And so for seven days, Donald Farrell went through all kinds of physiological, psychological tests. Mid-February 58, he emerged from his, uh, his journey to the moon and was greeted by this fellow by the name of Lyndon Johnson, Senator Lyndon Johnson. <laughs> and he became a national hero, but what he did was, uh, he was the first space traveler. Enlisted Air Force, an airman, became the first space traveler, even though in simulated space. So did he, that airman, conduct that test here at Randolph? In 661, in the basement. In the basement. In a room you could scarcely get into. It, it was just, it was amazing. I don't even know how they got Terrell on in there. They had to have taken it apart. Yeah, takes a wall. That, by the way, that chamber uh, is now on display. Well, it's on display at the Airman Heritage Museum at Lackland Air Force Base. So in, in the July of 1958, the National Aeronautic and Space Administration was created, the world's first civilian space agency. And, but when NASA, as the world's first civilian space agency, they had no expertise in behavioral sciences, bio, biological science, so and space medicine, they turned to the Air Force under contract for the next 30 years. 661 at Randolph was really ground zero for Air Force Space, the original Air Force For the American Space Program. For American Space Program, really. It was right here at Randolph. Very historic building. But that's not, only, that's not all that happened in 661. Besides, <laughs> that's not all. That's not the whole story, okay? So we had the, the historic feral 
Superman Trip to the Moon, 1958. Lunar Travel. Lunar right. Travel, 1958. The, the weightless flights were being conducted still, 1955. And then, uh, here's Airman Phil. So uh, now that NASA was created in July of 1958, the Air Force under contract was supporting NASA on lots of experiments. One of the things that they had to worry about was creation of pressure suits, spacesuits. That's that happened here also, and later on at Brooks. But also, that they were concerned about uh, the physiological effects of space flight, especially acceleration. Uh, we had rockets. We had, actually, they were missiles, ballistic missiles. The Redstone, uh, uh, Red, the Mercury Redstone, uh, was a ballistic missile, and so the first uh, uh, astronauts, the Mercury astronauts, were on top in a capsule on top of the missile. Mm. But they had to find out the Air Force and NASA had to find out what would be the physiological effects of acceleration, especially on a ballistic missile uh, pulling 17 Gs. Can you imagine? So they uh, started experimenting with primates. And those, Here and yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> now, let me let me put uh, put all this perspective. At Holloman Air Force Base in New Mexico, uh, the first test with primates, two spider monkeys, but they just shot them up and and came down. They didn't go into orbit or suborbit. But the first primates to go into suborbit into orbit were trained right here at Randolph in 661. So this is Sam Space, and Sam Space was named after the School of Aerospace Medicine. One of the interesting things that happened, the monkeys were trained here in, the, in building uh, 661. So Sam went up to space, then Miss Sam went up to space, and then following that, uh, 1959, the school moved from here to Brooks Air Force Base. And the name changed. The name changed. To Aerospace, because of the space mission. Right. All that started here, Ground Zero, the first really the Space Force the Air Force Space Force was really in 661, right here at the School of Aviation Medicine. And of course, it continued on in, at Brooks. So the School of Aviation um, Medicine that was here initially, it sounds, mm -hmm. am I correct in saying there were basically two? There was that space element uh, with Armstrong and his team, and then there was the, just the pilot mission, you know, yeah, finding right. out about They, they okay. were training, uh, it was a school, so they trained the, uh, the the flight surgeons that went out around the okay. airport, and it, you know it's interesting because Jaeger uh, passed away last week. Yeah, yeah. Even know. the mission at Edwards and at Murrock Field and other places, uh, Wright Field and, and right. Dayton, that was impacted immensely by Brooks and by by Randolph because the the, the scientists and the surgeons that were assigned to test flying were all trained here. And they had direct pipelines to Armstrong and the Armstrong Laboratory. So there was, it was a small Air Force, and Randolph especially impacted almost all aspects of, you know, the, the future mission of the Air Force for that period of time. It's, it's quite remarkable. And 661 is the nexus of, of, of the entire space program, because at the time we started, we, we knew next to nothing about uh, the problems associated with long-term spaceflight. We knew what we didn't know, and we wanted to try and accumulate enough knowledge to make it safe. And uh, I think it's important to uh, acknowledge the enlisted contribution, too. Farrell uh, was a volunteer, and uh, it was interesting to take somebody with without a, uh, a scientific background who 
could give you an objective analysis of how they're feeling and what it was like to do this kind of thing without any preconceived notions and without any future aspirations as an astrophysicist or whatever. He was here to, to test that chamber and he did a remarkable job. And you, then, get, you mentioned the enlisted, you know, enlisted space history, and knowing that you know we just had our first enlisted BMT space right, graduation. Right, right. Well, let me address that because and thank you, Gary, because exactly right. Pharrell opened the door, and 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 most of the people that were supporting the NASA uh, manned space flight program in the Air Force under contract was the enlisted force. They were the volunteers, uh, starting here not with, just with Farrell, but also uh, testing the uh, suits for space and space food. Uh, they, they put these, young, I didn't bring the photos, but they put these young men, these airmen, Lackland airmen primarily, volunteers for various tests at, at altitude and testing space, the food that was being developed for them, tasteless the stuff that they had, and they would actually weigh them, weigh them before they went in, and weigh them, weigh them when they came out. Uh, one of the uh, pioneers was uh, the Lieutenant Colonel May O'Hara. She was the first space Air Force uh, space nutritionist, and helped develop in concert with the Nat Natick uh, Laboratories uh, the first space food. And they would they developed this food, and uh, the uh, the airmen, these airmen, would have to consume this food inside of a chamber, locked up in a chamber for for weeks. One of the longest chamber tests was 54 consecutive days. Can you imagine? Some of the contributions made by the enlisted force to uh, health. Uh, one of the most unusual experiments ever conducted by the United States Air Force was done in, uh, in 1967. It was called Project Bedrest. So remember I mentioned there earlier the three concerns of, of space research was radiation, weightlessness, and, uh, and, uh, and acceleration. Uh, how do you test the effects, physiological effects on the human being in space and weightlessness? They wanted to find out what would the long-term effects of, uh, of uh, the physiological effects on, on, on weight or zero gravity. And there's no way to test it because before they had the parabolic flights, 15, 20 seconds, that couldn't do it. So they came up with a, the scientists, the Air Force scientists came up with this idea of uh, using an analogy. Uh, and they discovered that if you're perpendicular to the Earth's surface, and when you go to sleep at night, if you're prone position, gravity has no effect on you. That's the launch profile of, of all our space launches, is in that, in that X position. So, uh, so what they did was they asked for volunteers, again, airmen, from Lackland Air Force Base, to conduct Project Bedrest. I had, I had photographs, I should have brought the photographs. These airmen volunteered, these are healthy young airmen, 18, 19 years old, they did all the tests on them, and they were confined to bed in a prone position for six weeks oh to mimic the effects <laughs> of zero gravity on, on the body. Okay, so, so they did this, and so the first couple of weeks, uh, they discovered something was happening. Uh, what would you guess after about being two weeks immobile? And, I, and we have film of the, them being picked up to go to the bathroom. They had to be picked up and go to the bathroom, and brought back to the bed. Uh, we have footage of that. Right. So, what do you think happened after two weeks? What, what, what did they? What happened to them physiologically? I mean, they would. They, They're they, not moving they, at yeah, all. Yeah, they lose the ability to. I imagine muscle muscle atrophy. Mm -hmm. Okay, the scientists kind of figured that was going to happen. Four weeks in, they were shocked on what was happening to these young airmen. They were developing a medical condition associated with women in older age. Osteoporosis. Osteoporosis. The hollowing out of your bones, like chicken bones. Then this, by the way, this study was after four weeks. And this study was uh, for a long-term flight to Mars, by the way. And at the time, 
our technology to get to Mars was about two years one way. Now it's eight months. But that's what they were doing. This is 1967. We haven't even gone to the moon yet, and Air Force scientists were thinking about a Mars mission. So can you imagine if what they found out, if they had not done this, uh, and sending a space traveler to, to Mars, you, you could, you'd be jello by the time you get out of the space capsule. So what the scientists did at the School of Air or Space Medicine, they came up with a, an idea to reverse the effects of muscle atrophy and osteoporosis. They developed a total body exerciser, a device that they built at uh, Brooks Air Force Base. And at 20 minutes a day, they brought these airmen in, they, they exercised, and they reversed both the effects. NASA picked up on it. Now you see in the, on the space station, they're, they're doing their exercises. And that led to the cardiovascular uh, conditioning exercises for the United States, for people throughout the world. So that led to that. So the health benefits out of the space program, out of the Air Force's ideas, uh, pioneering our vision, uh, was developed by, by, by the Air Force, the first Air Force Space Force, which was the school of aerospace medicine. It's absolutely amazing. Going back to 661, Donald Farrell in that chamber test. Of course, before he made that famous 1958 flight to the moon, the scientists were conducting those atmospheric tests, developing different atmospheres. All that data that the Air Force was accumulating from 1952 until throughout the 50s was very supportive of NASA later on when they needed it. Remember Apollo 13? I got to meet John. Oh, yes. Jim, Jim Lovell. I met him. Uh, you know what happened? They were 200,000 miles from Earth. They had an explosion. They lost oxygen in their capsule. They're basically almost marooned. And NASA, what are we going to do? Because you had, you're expelling carbon dioxide. How much oxygen and uh, carbon dioxide, in, how long can they survive? So they figure out how to get them back. They turned to the Air Force. Dr. Billy Welch, who I interviewed, he's still alive, uh, had all the data <laughs> of all those Arabs. So they knew how much time they had to save those astronauts. So the Air Force came again and really saved the bacon. I used the, the colloquial expression of finance and, and saved those astronauts because we had the data right here. It was right here in 661. There was time to innovate and come up with that uh, filtration right. system. That they, but they needed to know precisely what the limits of human endurance were in uh, CO2 intoxication type environment like that, and we had it. And, and one other thing, the benefit of this, of, of promoting uh, this uh, this history that you're doing, uh, and, and Mr. Boyd mentioned when the command chief of the new Air Force Space Force came, Mr. Boyd mentioned uh, his, his vision to uh, use 661 as a starting point for a space acculturization for new animals. Uh, yeah, that we if and, and and I think it depends post COVID and a lot of things yeah, are happening right. quickly for them. But we're in San Antonio, and if they continue to train here, it makes sense for me uh, to to avail ourselves or at least tell them of the resources that are here, and maybe have them travel to Six Sixty One, travel to the centrifuge at Brooks, and to take a look at some of the epic areas of, of space pioneering airmen, because. Space and airmen are synonymous. I know that there's kind of a concept with Star Trek that it's kind of navalized. Well, reality is it's always been an Air Force domain because we were charged to to learn how to operate in these environments. It was the Air Force mission. The Navy had some similar research, but for the most part, the Air Force has been the leader in that. Yeah. And you know, everything from G suits in World War II and some of the pressure suits that came from that 
were tested, developed, or or okayed at the School of Aviation Medicine and later the School of Aerospace Medicine. So what a, what a legacy. It, it is. In order for us to even operate, it had to have started in a laboratory. It had to have started with a genius of some of those folks who associated with with Sam over the years. And it's such a great thing that Randolph is itself basically a, a historical diorama. <laughs> 661 is still there. The, the materials that the Space Force would used originally are still there. And, and thankfully, you know, at uh, five degrees of separation, or six degrees, well, with Rudy, it's one degree of separation from the, some of the very first pioneers of, of space, and I've wanted him to impart as much of his knowledge on, on this generation of airmen as possible. Knowing the history of Building 661 and the role that the enlisted force played in that history, and then seeing for the first time those enlisted space BMT graduates, seeing it all kind of come full circle, That's talking right. about six degrees of separation, what was that like? If standing in your shoes as a historian. Uh, I, you know, uh, well, last year at this time, I think we were, we were talking with the uh, the group from C-SPAN during the documentary, and we stopped at 661, and they went, well, why are we here? Well, let me tell you. And I, I had a, a, you know, we just created the Space Force, but I could see there was a lack of awareness of where it really started, and uh, you know, Rudy used to give tours of Randolph, and people would say, "Well, that's interesting." But, uh, <laughs> but, but now that the Space Force is here to see it dynamically in uh, in action, it really gives me a sense of satisfaction that uh, we've been able to hold the line historically. The artifacts are still here, the history is still here, and the uh, the inspiration that we can impart is is still possible and it's kind of nice that uh, the Space Force trains here and I I think that there's a lot of acculturation opportunities for them. You know, so it's, it's my hope that uh, San Antonio isn't bypassed completely in a new Space Force that uh, there's a lot of good reasons to, to use Texas as a, a kind of a base for flying and space flight research and you know it's the weather generally is but, but it, it's also a, a cluster of, of research capacity and people that make it possible for us to do the most at, at the least cost here. So there's a lot of good reasons that San Antonio has always been a, a part of it. But, you know, uh, where we're going to go next, I, I don't know, but wherever they go, whether it's at the edge of our galaxy or Mars, it, they're taking a little bit of Randolph and. Hazelhurst and Brooks with them. Less what is three. Building 661 now? Is it still operational or what is? Yes, it is. It's part of A9 now. It's part of the innovations. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> and they were innovative to find out what their history was and they contacted us. So, uh, so it worked out great. So knowing that Building 661 is still operational under the A9 innovation umbrella uh -huh. and knowing its history, that's pretty that's pretty amazing. It is, and I, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think it's important to understand Randolph's contribution still continues. Oh, and yeah. pilot training next, the fact that it, yes. it really it started here as kind of a, a thought problem 
and has gone back and forth, Austin to here, now 661. Some of the innovators in A9 that were part of that and in the 19th Air Force, because 661 also was the 19th Air Force headquarters for many. Wow. <laughs> so it, 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 the circle never completes. I mean, it's like an orbit. <laughs> <laughs> it's wonderful to hear so much that our history is steeped in innovation and yeah. our future is bright in innovation. Yeah, that's, that's right. right. Like I said, at the beginning of this uh, interview, 661 is one of the most historic buildings in the Air Force. And you'd never know it. And you'd never know it. You know, I, I always say that about the Air Force, but, you know, we, there's this myth about the Air Force zipper-suited sun gods. And, but the reality is, especially with Air Force history, the, the Air Force hasn't taken enough credit. We've done a lot of good things. For World War II, not possible without complete air supremacy to invade you know, Europe and to win the war in the Pacific, it was not possible without the Air Force. But the Air Force never has made any of these types of victory lap. Uh, we have always been more concerned with the problems of today and tomorrow than really uh, exalting in our history. And uh, it's kind of my job to remind the Air Force, well, you did some great things. Let's 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 be happy about that, and let's let's get this next generation excited. Right, inspiration, really, the key. And it's important, you know, airmen come in and they start to think of themselves as uh, finance, you know, uh, uh, technicians, and you know. But the reality is, we 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 all have to be innovators. Well, he was a finance person. <laughs> That's <wasn't> exactly. It. <laughs> exactly. We are airmen. Yeah. We're airmen first, and then yeah. then it's that profession you're trying to attain through our skills training and whatnot. But. But uh, airmen have to be innovative, and they have to be right. forward-thinking, and they have to be selfless in order for the Air Force to survive this long. Thank you both so much. <laughs> Thank just you. so great. <laughs> did, did you learn one new thing today? I learned a lot of new things today. I am going to drive past that building with new appreciation. Enlisted contributions to space started with Airman Donald Farrell in 1958 and continue still today. To see images of the space program at Randolph Air Force Base, visit aetc.af.mil. You can also see Torella One firsthand, free of charge, at the Airman Heritage Museum at Joint Base San Antonio Lackland. Thank you for the subscribe, stream, or download. And as a reminder, you can follow Air Education and Training Command and the AETC Command Team on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn. From our entire AETC public affairs team, I'm Jennifer Gonzalez, and talk to you next time on The Air Force Starts Here.